0: Glad you've decided to be with us tonight as we are continuing our summer series together. Uh, Tonight, I have the privilege of introducing our speaker, which is not really a guest to uh, all of us as he's part of family here. And so I have the opportunity to introduce my father-in-law, Matt Vega. He's going to be speaking to us tonight. Um, many of you are very familiar with Matt uh, and his work that he did down here at Faulkner for a little while, but now he is serving as a professor at Freed Hardeman University in Henderson, Tennessee, uh, along with many other works and things that he does, along with working at uh, Rainbow Omega, which is where he's been this week, and an opportunity to do a lot of different mission work. Many of you know that I was with him in South Korea a couple of weeks ago, and we had a really good experience there, and we were talking to some of the missionaries and some of the uh, translators there, and We were just talking about how Mr. Matt was a uh, lawyer by trade, and uh, one of the guys just said, there's no way, I've known Matt for three years now, and he just doesn't match the profile of a lawyer. He's too soft and tender. So I have the opportunity to introduce the soft and tender uh, lawyer for the night, so Matt Vega's going to come and speak to us.
1: that better? I'm gonna have to give some thought to what exactly translated uh, between him and this uh, Korean, but uh, kinder, gentler nation, right? I really do appreciate you letting uh, Billy make that trip. It was, I think, a big encouragement to the Korean brethren to see a young Christian man who's dedicated himself to Christ and um, hear somebody other than me after two years and we also had the privilege of having Greg Tidwell, the editor-in-chief of the Gospel Advocate, join us the second week. They were overlapping, Billy and Greg overlapped a little bit over the weekend, and it, was, uh, it really was, I think God has blessed us. We had rebaptism, re-baptism, uh, and uh, we, we rejoice for that. The challenge tonight is for me as a lawyer to talk to you about something that some other profession... Professionals would be eminently more qualified. And that is the concept of healing. And so I probably should have left that topic for a, a doctor or a physical therapist or something like that. But um, it's a topic that I found intriguing. And it's, it reminded me almost instantly of one of my favorite song, songs, The Balm of Gilead. You're familiar with that. And, and the song is a reference to an Old Testament passage, that, but, but applying it to Jesus as being the cure, being the, the balm of Gilead. And it's an interesting uh, song just because of the poetry, but also uh, I think there's a deeper meaning. And so when we are trying to understand our Lord, which after all is the primary reason why we come together uh, to study God's Word, is so that we might know God better. And as we draw closer to Him, He draws closer to us. And, And as we tonight explore yet another aspect of who Jesus is, the healer, the great physician, I want you to think about the last time you were sick. I want you to to think about the last time a loved one was facing some serious uh, illness or maybe you're in the healthcare profession and you've you've been at the bedside of someone who was overcoming some kind of physical trauma, some kind of injury to their bodily person. And I want you to think about the 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 process that they had to go through. What was the goal? What was on their mind? They say the healing process consists of three basic phases. And and the first phase is that those first few hours, those first 24, 72 hours when you are facing the pain that you need painkillers for and the trauma and the swelling and you are um, in this process of basically dealing with the, the reaction to some injury to your body. And then the second phase comes after that. After that pain, you just want to go away, however you make it go away, and you immobilize yourself so you just don't move if your back is out, or, or you know what I'm talking about. Then comes the, the second phase, which is known as the regeneration phase. Where your body, it doesn't happen instantly, but your body over time, the, 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 the new tissue becomes, is laid down naturally uh, by your body and, and repairs those nerves in that, in that injured area. But that can take weeks. And so it's not untypical to have to deal with this, this phase, this stage for two months. And then the final phase is known as the remodeling phase and this is where don't think you're fully healed yet now the scar is now you know fresh but it's there it's 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 healed up and there's a nice little scar or 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 your back is you know you're much better you're much stronger and able to get around but be careful for several more months, maybe even a year or more, you've got to be careful because bending over that pencil could re-injure that. And so during that remodeling period, you've got to strengthen your body so that it can um, not so easily be uh, re-injured. Now I want you to think about those three phases, not just in a physical way, but a spiritual way tonight. Because Jesus is the master healer. Not just of people's physical infirmities, but he had the ability to touch them spiritually and and heal them in a way that no other man that's walked this earth could do. And some of them got it and some of them didn't get it. And I want you to see that, that in a world where when Jesus walked on this earth, he could instantly heal someone physically, there was still a very deliberative, and, and a very deliberative process that everyone had to go through in order to be healed by Jesus spiritually. Do you hear me? If you want to talk about physical healing, God had the ability to perform a miracle and instantly raise the dead. Instantly give a man sight. Or he could choose to go through a process and say, go, go wash in the dirtiest water in town seven times. Just to see if he'd do it, mind you. He could have done it instantly if he'd wanted to. But that it was the exception to the rule. One of the characteristics of many of the miracles that Jesus performed was their instantaneous nature. The ability to just tell someone who'd been lame all of his life, get up and walk. And instantly... His muscles and his joints there was no regeneration period there was no remodeling time required he was able to jump up for joy but that's not the focus tonight on the the physical healing that Jesus did as important as it was to its ministry it was always pointing to something else to a different kind of healing and that healing was never instantaneous it was always, the lesson God, Jesus taught was that it would be a process. And He was looking for the right soil in which faith could grow and mature unto salvation. Now, where do I go? If I want to make this contrast between the spiritual and the physical healing powers of our Lord and Master, what story would you choose? I was tempted to, to talk about the story of the, 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 the lame, paralyzed man whose friends uh, uh, made a hole in the roof and lowered him down so that Jesus could touch him. I was tempted to talk about the story of the woman who just, just gets through the crowd enough to, to touch his, the hem of his garment and instantly is healed. And Jesus like... Who did that? And has this wonderful moment where the power of God is, is beautifully portrayed. But I've settled on something else. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. After all, you got to, if you're going to pick a story, it's got to come from the gospel account written by a physician, right? And so let's, let's pick a story that Luke writes About. And so Luke chapter 17 is the is the story that I've chosen for tonight and we'll start in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, I'm just going to read the story and then we'll walk back through it. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices Saying, "Jesus, Master, have mercy on us." Now, what phase are they in? They're in that, that first reaction phase, aren't they? In, in 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 a in a very real sense, they were experiencing the most most excruciating kind of pain if you've seen pictures of people with leprosy, and if you've seen not only the physical pain, but the psychological pain of being isolated and ostracized and, and cast into the, into the outer parts of the, uh, outside the city and forced to be living in, living in caves. And imagine the kind of, of difficulties that would be physically and psychologically. And all they want is some relief. Just make it go away. And so they see and hear about Jesus, and so they uh, see that opportunity, and they seize it by shouting out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And verse 14 says, and when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. This takes a lot of faith for them to do this because it was illegal for them to be going into the temple as lepers. And I want you to see something. That while they are speaking to Jesus, while they're being commanded by Jesus to go to the, and show yourselves to the priest, they still haven't been healed. They're still lepers. Look at the next verse. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's very important in the Greek for you to recognize that there's a verb tense there. It's called articular infinitive. It's called an articular infinitive. Where they're taking the infinitive and combining it with a preposition in order to emphasize that something is happening happening when something else is happening. You see it several times in this passage. Look at verse 11 again. On the way to Jerusalem... He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And so that's the same verb tense. And here you see that they aren't cleansed while they're talking to Jesus. They aren't cleansed when Jesus commands them to go show themselves to the priest. Instead, they aren't clean. They aren't healed of leprosy until when? They're on their way in obedience to their Lord, Master. Interesting, isn't it? I don't think that was coincidence. I think the Lord was trying to move them through the processes and saying, Look, you're in pain. You're in this, this immediate reaction to life, whatever the difficulty is. And for you, it's leprosy. And I want to move you to the stage of regeneration. And unless you're willing to move, unless you're willing to, in faith, obey me, unless you're willing to do what I command. They weren't going to get healed. Do you see that? Now watch what happens next. Then one of them, verse 15 says. Now what happened to the other nine? Why are we now focusing our attention on one person? In my estimation, it's because only one person spiritually reaches stage three of remodeling themselves from the inside out out of sheer gratitude for the grace and the mercy and the love and the kindness that the Lord has shown to him. You with me? It's one thing to be in pain and you're reacting and you're just trying to cope and you just don't want to move just to keep the pain from coming on. And it's another thing to actually experience some relief and find the cure. But it's a whole nother thing for us to respond to that kind of blessing. And aren't we all so blessed with the kind of Thanksgiving that we need to be having? And that is the third and final phase where you actually, you remodel yourself, where you become a better person, where the whole person is healed. You're going to see that. Is true for only one of these ten. Watch what happens in verse fifteen. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, now I want you to, and I don't want to make too much of a word study. And I know uh, these verses are these words are not always used in the way I'm about to suggest. But I think the physician Luke is using two different Greek words here on purpose. Look at the previous verse. What all ten were done. They were all what? Cleansed. And the the Greek word for cleanse there is the same word from which we get catharsis. And it's the idea that you are purged or you're purified. It's, It's cathartic. And that is a very common term to describe when Jesus miraculously heals someone. He heals them in the sense of cleansing them through this catharsis. But that's not what he says to the one who reaches that third stage and turns back. After he realizes that he's been cleansed, he turns back to the one who healed him. And praising God with a loud voice when he saw that he was healed. And healed is the whole body healing. Healed is a different Greek word. It's the word from which we derive the term psychiatry. Where you're not just dealing with people's physical problems, you're dealing with their mental problems. You with me? Psychiatry. And the point is that, yes, all ten experienced some regeneration of their physical problem of leprosy. But one experienced a whole body healing. But it gets better. Keep reading. And then it says, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. He was literally somebody with other genes, a foreigner. It's interesting that the Scripture is pointing out that the one dude who who makes it through to the third phase is the least likely. The one that society would put on the bottom rung. And yet it says that his response to this mercy to this healing, to this cleansing was absolute submission to his Lord. Have you ever been so thankful to God that you got good news on a major test involving some kind of life-threatening illness or a loved one escapes some grave situation? And and, and when you receive that good news, you can't help but just fall down and give God the glory and the thanks. If you experience that, you've got a little taste of how this one leper's response is. It literally says he doesn't just kneel down to worship or praise or pray God. He falls literally on his face in the Greek. And that's, that's a total submission, a total uh, absolute abject uh, prostrating himself to show how humble and how thankful and how much he just wants to give glory and worship to the Lord. But then look, <clears throat> verse 15, I mean, verse 16, no, verse 17, sorry. It says, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? And he's going back to that term of catharsis. And, and so he's using this, this same concept that he initially was talking about in contrast to the other term. And he's saying, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And then he's going to say something pretty amazing. Verse 19. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And now he's moved to a third term. And this term, so-so, is is literally the, you know, it's the big daddy word in the Bible. When you're talking about big theological concepts, this is the one you need to know. Because it's the word for saved. Your faith has saved you. He's just declared that, look, for 10, I took away some physical pain. And you were able to uh, appreciate that and, and it was able to help you make your whole body whole, which is even better. But I want to I give you something else. I want you to understand that if you allow that faith to continue to grow in your life and mature, if that faith will just lead you to as a truth seeker, you know what you're going to experience. It's not just free from physical pain, not just the whole body feeling better. You're going to find salvation, spiritual healing. Now that was a mouthful. I wonder how much that leper actually understood he was just promised. I hope that he got it. I hope he, when he was worshiping God and he was prostrate to the ground, that he wasn't just worshiping a miracle worker. He was worshiping God. He knew that only through, that only someone who was from God could do this. And that he was spiritually getting the message. And that because of that, that faith, faith not just in the power of Jesus, but in the prince, the deity of Jesus. That faith and belief that Jesus was in fact the Son of God is ultimately going to save his soul, heal him for an eternity. You know, I I can't help but think how awesome it would have been to live during the age of miracles. To, to, to think about being there when, when Jesus could take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands. Or when not only Jesus, but up when Peter was walking on the water. I, I can't help but want to imagine myself in that, in that boat when, when Jesus commands the very elements of the world the wind itself, and it calms a storm. But you know what? As amazing as it would have been to have been there to see Jesus call out to the one that he cried about, Lazarus, and tell him to come forth and to see Lazarus raised from the dead. As amazing as that would be, you know what's true about Lazarus? You know what's true about every paralytic, every blind person, every single person that Jesus healed miraculously, physically? Is they still died eventually. They still withered and decayed physically. They still faced the first death. That's not the death that Jesus came to overcome. Jesus was able to give you and me and everyone who believes, everyone who's willing to receive the Word, everyone who has faith, saving faith, the opportunity to experience a spiritual healing. It's not just temporary, It doesn't just give you a second chance at life which is still but a vapor. It doesn't just improve the quality of a few years on this earth. But it allows you to be in the presence of God for an eternity. A kind of healing that removes the stain of sin and of guilt. And allows you to boldly go before the throne of God now. Know that you're not a sinner, you're a child of God. You know, one of the things you can notice in the Greek when it describes these lepers, it, it calls them first lepers and then men in the Greek. Because their leprosy, their disease overshadowed their humanness. And likewise, you and me, when, when we, I uh, guess Romans chapter 3 and chapter 6 talk about, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That once you um, live in this world with all of its temptations and the onslaught of sin, you eventually sin. Every one of us falls short. And at that point, we're worthy of death. That's the wages that we've earned for ourselves. And there is no hope. And we are just sinners. And Jesus is telling us and telling this leper, I can flip that around. Instead of you being defined by your sin, I want you to be defined by me. I want you to be a child of God for an eternity. That's the gift that the healer brought to a leper. Not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. Let me ask you, in light of that story, to think about a question. Why? Why did Jesus heal the leper? Why did he do it? I mean, I could ask the same question about ourselves, couldn't I? Why did Jesus save me? Why why did he save you? Why? Now, I'm not asking the question uh, how Jesus or how God saves us. I mean, I, I think the scriptures are clear in passages like Ephesians 2 that we're saved by grace through faith. And that faith, that true saving faith, that that that's that's what we must do. It's not unconditional grace. That's what we must do to be saved. And I'm not asking that. I'm not asking what you got to do to be saved, to obey the gospel, to hear and believe, and repent and confess and be baptized. I'm not asking when you're saved. That baptism is that moment when you can receive that promise with assurance and know with confidence that your sins have been washed away, that you've been cleansed, that you've been forgiven, that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there is no other guarantees if you haven't found that moment in your life. That's when the promise is fulfilled. All the scriptures point to that. But see, I'm not asking that. I'm asking a much simpler question, and it's why? God saves us. Why did Jesus heal the leper? Not just physically, but spiritually. A lot of good answers. Probably most of you would pick the first one out of John 3.16, right? Because God loves us. And that would be a good answer. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's true. I think the Bible also teaches that it's also the case that... God wants, God not only loves us, but He also wants to save us for His glory. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 1 very quickly, verse 6. Uh, there's a couple of verses there because I think uh, it's important that we, we recognize that this was one of the purposes for Him healing and doing all the amazing signs and wonders, uh, not just for physically but also the spiritual healing that he conducted look at Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse there's a couple of verses look at verse 6 it says speaking of of Jesus Christ and how we're adopted as sons through him it says why according to the purpose of his will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He blessed us in the Beloved. Look down at verse 12. Why? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Look at verse 14. We are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Why? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of His glory. You get it? Why did Jesus heal? physically and spiritually. Why does God save us today? He loves us, but it's also the case He does it for His own glory. To glorify God. That's why you're on earth. And ultimately, that's one of the reasons. But that's not the reason I want to focus on tonight. Instead, I want to suggest there's a third and very important reason that's just as biblical. And it's also in Ephesians. Look back at verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. If anything good happens in your life, physical or spiritual, if you are experiencing good, it's from God. And what he's telling us is that if it's a spiritual good, you can only find that kind of peace that passes understanding in Christ Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, why? Why has he blessed us? Why has he physically and spiritually healed people that we should be holy and blameless before him. That, to me, is why God heals us. Think about it. Go back to your situation. If you had a broke leg, if you were, you were out of commission in sports for eight weeks because you had injured yourself, what was the whole point of getting healed? To get back on that field, right? If you were dealing with some kind of illness that was causing you to be bedridden for months and months, what's the whole point of getting healed? Is to get up out of that bed and do something worth doing. Imagine if you were to be blessed with overcoming some great physical infirmity that had bedridden you for years and then the next day... You go get back into bed and just stay there all day long, day after day. That would make no sense, would it? And my point is that God is taking us all as, through this, this, this changing, this transforming process, this renewal of mind that Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about. And it's for a reason. Yes, He loves us, but He doesn't want us to, to perish. And yes, he's doing it ultimately to show the world that he is the great I am. But more importantly, he's doing it because he's got things for you to do. He wants you to be called by him to be set apart for a reason, for a, to do good works, to live personally holy and righteous lives. It's not good enough to understand what you are being uh, uh, saved from. Saved from your sin and washed your past sins away. you got to understand what you're being saved for. It's a huge difference. In the way you walk in this life, if you, all you're doing is saying what you don't do, what you aren't going to be held accountable for, and you're not realizing that God has a calling for you, He has a purpose for you, He has sanctified you, He you are a royal priesthood, Peter says. This is a promise that He made not just to uh, the New Testament Christians, but He made it to His people in the Old Testament as well, that you are called to be a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, to be what? to be holy, to be righteous, to be doing good things. And for us to come up out of that water grave of baptism and within a few weeks or a few months or a few years, I don't know how long you've been baptized. If all you do is spiritually lay up in bed, then why did Jesus place His healing hands on you? I'm telling you, he has something he wants you doing for him. Now, I'm not talking about earning your salvation. I'm not talking about merit-based works. I'm not talking about the concept that you can somehow justify and earn your ticket to heaven. We understand there's a, there's a difference between works of merit and works of faith. We understand that you've got to, as a Christian, a good theologian's got to reconcile us. We tried to teach the Koreans the the fact that Paul and James are both right. That Paul is right when he tells the Ephesians, you're saved by grace through faith. And he's talking about true living faith, the kind of faith that's not dead, the kind of faith that James turns around and says, dead faith is not going to do anything for you. If you want to talk about faith, show me your works. Now, which one is it? Both is the answer. God healed you and you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it. But once you're healed, you're healed for a reason. And that's because He has taken you through a reformation process, a restoration process, where just like physical healing, you're regenerated and ultimately remodeled, reshaped, so that you can fight the fight. You do not have to be the same weak Christian for the rest of your life. That is a lie that Satan has sold you. I don't care what sins you've had to overcome. I don't care what sins were washed away in that watery grave of baptism. I'm here to tell you the scriptures teach that God will allow a Christian to grow spiritually so that they can live holy lives. And it's not optional. It is necessary for salvation. Here believe, repent, confess, and be baptized and live a faithful Christian life. Don't forget that part. When you're talking to a new convert, you better explain to them that there is an aspect of walking in the Christian life that requires us to put away those former things. It implies that you will be able to When it says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 9 and 10 and around there, that all these things, you were some of you. Whether it's murderers or thieves or homosexuals. And he said, such were some of you, but now you have been what? Made holy, sanctified. You've been washed, you obeyed the gospel, so you've been washed, and now you're being sanctified, set apart for a holy purpose. To not do those same old things. Now, I'm not saying, and hear me now, that you can be perfect. There's a difference between living righteous lives, being, uh, uh, practicing personal holiness, and being perfect. None of us can be perfect. And if you really want to understand what it means to, to, to be able to say with confidence that you are faithful, that you are uh, obedient to the faith, that you are, um, you, you are walking in the Spirit or walking in the light. I recommend that you read First John. The whole book is not very long, but nothing in Scripture encourages me more spiritually than First John in this regard. Because what 1 John tells us repeatedly is what it means to be faithful. Walk through it with me just real quickly as we close out. 1 John 1, verse 2. Look at verses 3 and 4. 1 John 2. Verses 3 and 4. And by this we know that we've come to know Him. You've got a relationship with Jesus. You're a Christian. You're a disciple of His. You know that you are if you keep His commandments. Is that just hyperbole or does He actually mean what He's saying? That we should keep His commandments. And we can do that. Look at uh, verses 5 and 6. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We should be able to live holy lives and be righteous and do things the way Christ did them. That's how you know you're abiding in him. That's how you can know that you know that you know you're saved. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says... Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You want to abide forever? You want eternity? You've got to do the will of God. You've got to have personal holiness. You've got to be Faithful. That's the whole reason why He healed us spiritually. Two more. Look at verse 29. Speaking to the little children, He says, If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness makes it a habit. You don't have to be perfect, but you've got to be trying to walk in the light. You've got to be uh, trying to make a habit of good. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Have you been born again? Are you a Christian? Then you'll be practicing as a habit righteousness. And then and only then can you say, as he says at the end of the book in chapter 5, verse 4. This wonderful promise. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. I mean, there's all kinds of wonderful promises about how God will always provide a way of escape, that there's no temptation greater that, that, that you can't overcome. But ultimately, you've got to want to get out of bed spiritually. You've got to want to dedicate yourself to living a holy life, to being pure, to rejecting the old ways, to being a new creature to walking in the light, to f- fulfilling the, 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 the destiny that you have, the calling that you have, to, to experience the fruits of the Spirit rather than the works of, of the flesh. you got to choose. And that's the whole point of healing you in the first place. I'm going to stop there, and we'll, we'll say some, some, one more thing, but I'm going to save it for the invitation. you please bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful for this study. We're thankful for your son and the amazing, amazing things that he did while he was here on earth. But we're, we're even more thankful for what he still is doing at your right hand. Working in our lives to give us the confidence and the assurance that our sins have been forgiven. And that we are able to serve you. We pray to Heavenly Father that you will continue to bless this church and its many servants. And all the many ways in which they try to glorify you. We pray that you'll forgive us of our sins as we repent of those sins, and I also ask your Son's name Jesus Christ. Amen.